Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. What is your favorite TV show? Do you have one? Well, I think most of us do. Whether you go back to the classics of the Andy Griffith or I Love Lucy or maybe some of the crazy modern day ones, I don't know, maybe you have a favorite TV show. I would say that I really don't, I don't have cable, so I don't really watch a lot of shows, but on YouTube, I do surf a lot on YouTube. And one of the things I enjoy listening and watching to all the time is those videos or shows about tiny homes. You ever seen those shows? They're crazy cool if you ask me. It is so interesting. A tiny home is a house that is considered 500 square feet or less. So just imagine packing up all of your belongings, everything that you own, your clothes, your furniture, everything, your tangible assets in your home, and moving them into 500 square foot or less. Most people, that's probably, you know, the size of your living room. So imagine living in a home that has a bathroom, that has a kitchen, that has a bedroom, that has a living room, that has an office, that has all of those things we think about a house just summarized into your living room. Pretty small, right? Well, as you begin to watch some of these shows, I've seen where some of them are concrete in the ground and they are hooked into the power company and hooked into the water authority. And so they're just a small house. But then you get some that seek to be self-sufficient. So they go and they, they get the solar panels and they put the solar panels on top of the roof so that they can have batteries that are charged and it can allow a small house to function just on a battery. Then they might have a well to where they draw their water from a well source instead of through the city or county water. And then I've seen some that devise a rainwater system to where the rain that comes down, they have all of these gadgets that somehow, some way, filter all the water and bring it in the house so that they can drink it and use it for their toilet and for their shower and for their sinks. And it's interesting. Some people have the idea of a tiny home that I wanna become so self-efficient that I don't have to rely on the power company, that I wanna become so, so self-dependent that I don't need to rely on the water company, and I wanna become so self-reliant that I don't have to rely on the government for any assistance. And I say that to say this, that the message to this church that we're reading today is a very similar message. That just as somebody would seek to live in a tiny home to be self-dependent upon the government or anybody else's assistance, we see that this church became so self-reliant, so self-dependent and so self-sufficient that they decided to kick God out of the equation. And the one word that summarizes this church from our passage is the word lukewarm. Would you say lukewarm with me? Lukewarm, say it again, lukewarm. Out of all the things and attributes that God could describe to a church, he says you are lukewarm. So what is a lukewarm church? What exactly does this mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I wanna define it for us so that we can get a better understanding of the passage at hand. A lukewarm church is a self-sufficient, self-reliant and self-dependent church with no need for God. Did you hear me? 
Let me say it again. A lukewarm church is self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-dependent with no need for God. I'm afraid that out of all these seven churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the one that hits home the most for the modern church and the American church is this church. Because like this church in Ephesus, we become so wealthy. We become so educated. We become so arrayed with all the fancy attire that we have decided that we can just kick God out of the equation and now we no longer need his help and assistance in our congregations today. So we've defined what a lukewarm church is. Now I wanna share with you a statement that's gonna summarize all I'm about to share with you and really I think the context and content of the, the passages that we read. And here's the key statement today. The only way to overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. The only way to overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. Let me just tell you something. God is our source of provision in every aspect of life. And when we get out of that mindset, we are gonna make the failure and mistakes that this lukewarm church in Laodicea made in the ancient world. Understand that Laodicea was located about 50 miles southeast of Philadelphia. Understand that, that when we got on this Roman road, it's kind of like the postal route that a mailman would take all the letters and all those different packages and deliver them. And there's seven major cities along this road. The first one is Ephesus. And we looked at all the others along this road. And you come to the very last major city, and that is Laodicea. And so we see kind of like a large circle on this road. And finally, the, the mailman, man in a sense gets to this city and there to deliver the final letter to the final church of these churches in Revelation Asia Minor. This church Laodicea was located in the Lycus River Valley which was kind of a sister church and a sister city to Colossae and Hierapolis. We see that these were the three, this was a tri-city region and those three cities were the major cities in this valley. The name means people ruling, or if you go down into the original language, the two words that make up the word Laodicea literally means the rights of the people. The city was founded in 260 BC by Antiochus II and named after his wife, whom he later divorced, unfortunately, but her name was Laodis. The city was almost entirely destroyed in 60 AD by an earthquake, and it was later rebuilt, and it became a popular place for wealthy Romans to move to in their retirement years. As we think about this city, as we think about this ancient culture, I often ask myself, how did this church become a church? Who founded this church? Where is this church mentioned in the New Testament? It's not mentioned in the book of Acts. So we have to go back to Acts chapter 19 when Paul is on his missionary, one of his missionary journeys and there him and his teammates, they get to the city of Ephesus and they're there for three years. And in chapter 19 and verse number 10, the Bible says that all of Asia heard the message of Christ. And so most likely at some point, the church was birthed out of this explosion of the gospel in the city of Ephesus in Acts 19. And we read in the book of Colossians, by the way, you have to study the book of Colossians if you really wanna understand the city and church in Laodicea because Paul mentions and references Laodicea multiple times in the book and here we see a man by the name of Epaphras. It's mentioned in Colossians chapter one, verse seven, and most commentators and historians agree that Epaphras was the founder 
of the church of Colossae, the founder of the church in Hierapolis, and the founder of this church in Laodicea. So what is a lukewarm church? A lukewarm church is a self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-dependent church with no need for God. How do we overcome the lukewarm church mentality? Well, the only way to overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. But then my question for us all today is this, and it's gonna bring us to this passage. What does Christ have to say about the lukewarm church? And I want you to understand this, that this message is not just necessarily for the church in 95 AD to hear, but it is for the church in 2021 AD to hear today. And today I wanna ask and answer, what does Christ have to say about the lukewarm church? And I want to share with you five declarations that Jesus gives to this church from this passage about the lukewarm church. Look at verse number 14, excuse me, verse 14. The Bible says, let's read this verse. It says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. As we've described, all the other churches have an angel a messenger or pastor, an angelic being, we don't exactly know, but we know that a messenger is coming and delivering this message to this church in Laodicea. And the Bible says that Jesus describes himself with three descriptions here. Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. So here's the first declaration Christ gives to this church. Jesus declares he is the faithful, eternal, true witness. Jesus declares he is the faithful, eternal, true witness. Look at this passage. In fact, I wanna highlight these descriptions. Oftentimes, Jesus is going back to the vision that John received in chapter one, and, and there are aspects of the vision found in here, and then there's aspects that are not found here. So Jesus is emphasizing a few things here, but notice the word amen. Say amen with me, amen. I knew I'd get an amen out of you today. Amen, hallelujah. About time, wake up our church and say amen. I'm just kidding. We see amen is a term that is described a title for Jesus Christ. In fact, we are told by people who are a whole lot smarter than me, it goes back to Isaiah chapter 65 and verses 16, 17, and 18, where the Hebrew word that was used for amen in that case in the English Bible is translated as truth. And so it calls God the God of truth. And so when we say amen, we are affirming what is said to be true. And so Jesus is affirming, he is literally saying, everything that is said about the Messiah and about the word of God is affirmed through me. He is the Messiah. In other words, he's saying, I'm the only witness that affirms all of the testimonies in the Old Testament and the New Testament true. Then he goes on to say how he is faithful and true. Witness, by the way, is the term that we use to describe and get martyr from. So when we say martyr, we, we literally get this word from witness. Oftentimes a martyr is somebody who gives their life for the cause of Christ. And we know ultimately Jesus Christ gave his life so that people could one day, in a sense, give their lives for him. But we see that he is faithful. In other words, he is the most dependable and reliable source in all the world to testify of the works of God. It also says he's true. He is the greatest truth, affirming the declarations of scripture. He is the greatest witness. So if we call anybody to the stand in the courtroom, in the heavenly courtroom, it's not gonna be me, it's not gonna be you, it's not gonna be any famous theologian or pastor teacher, none of them. It's going to be Jesus Christ affirming the works of himself to the Father. 
And then the last phrase here, the great debate, the beginning of the creation of God. So the question has to be raised, does this mean that Jesus was created at some point? It's a fair question. In fact, it's what Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses try to raise every time you go to this passage and they say, hey, hey, the King James says the beginning of the creation of God, so it has to mean that Jesus was created at some point by the Father. No, actually, that's wrong. So in fact, throughout, throughout the book of Revelation, we'll just stay in the book of Revelation here, okay? The Bible uses the word beginning so many times to describe Jesus. It says he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the ending and the first and the last. So the usage of the word beginning gives the idea of his eternal aspect. So in other words, this word here also can mean beginning. It can mean, it can mean beginning as it's rendered here in our English Bible. It can also mean he is the source and the origin of creation. So in other words, and ruler. So in other words, the Bible is saying that out of creation, Jesus Christ is the one who began it all. He's the one who spoke it into existence. So in other words, this phrase, the beginning of the creation of God is describing Jesus Christ as the eternal son of God who always has, always is, always will be. And by the way, the church in Colossae was about 10 miles, give or take away from the church in Laodicea. And as Paul wrote in the church of Colossae in Colossians, there was a major attack on the deity of Christ in that church. And so he spoke about how it was Christ who created all the cosmos in the world. And so here, most likely we believe that the Laodiceans had a case of bad theology in Christology or the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus himself is affirming that he is the witness. He is the eternal, truthful, faithful witness of God. What is a lukewarm church? A lukewarm church is self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-dependent with no need for God. The only way to overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. And we see so far in verse number 14, the Bible says the first declaration Christ has for this church is Jesus declares he is the faithful, eternal, true witness. But now look at verses 15 and 16 as we move forward in our passage. The second declaration Jesus makes of this church is this. Jesus declares the lukewarm church is useless. Jesus declares the lukewarm church is useless. Let's read these two verses, verse 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Could you imagine? We are going to Smoothie King to get a smoothie. We're gonna get a strawberry and banana smoothie with orange juice. And the fruit is going to be frozen because it's going to be a cold, chilled beverage. Imagine if we walk into Smoothie King and we, we, get, we order our smoothie and we start drinking the smoothie and it's hot. Ugh, nasty, disgusting. Ugh. Now imagine you go to the coffee shop like Starbucks you know, to buy your $10 coffee. And, and uh, so there we are. And we, we say, hey, I want, a, I want a hot cup of joe. And you get out and it's cold. Would you want that cold cup of coffee or that hot cup of smoothie? Absolutely not. And it's interesting. So many times, I think we're all, in a sense, we've all done this. We come to passages like this one, and we say that, we would say like, 
Hey, God wants you to be so on fire for him, he wants you to be hot. He doesn't want you to be cold. He wants you to be hot. And some have, have described that, hey, God wants you to be so on fire for Christ, or he wants you to be so cold that you have nothing to do with Christ. I'm not so sure that's exactly what this means here in this passage, because the Bible says that Jesus would prefer his church to be hot or cold. So does that mean he wants his church to be icy cold with no interest in the things of God? Or so on fire for God that he's so consumed by the things of God? Well, I think the way that we can really understand what's going on here in the mind of Jesus Christ is, is we know that he is a master preacher. And he is a master illustrator. And in the gospels, we read his sermons where he would use illustrations that they would know of. So let me take you back to the first century. And we see that in Colossians chapter number four, and verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, the Bible mentions Hierapolis and Colossae and, and Laodicea all together. They're very close, about 10 miles away from each other. And we see that Hierapolis, it was interesting that they were known for their hot springs, kind of like their hot tubs. Imagine getting in a hot tub that was icy cold. No thanks, I'm not doing it. So there they, they had these warm springs and they would use this hot water in a way to bring healing to somebody with certain ailments. But then you go to Colossae and they had cold springs. And those cold springs, we are told that the water that would come out of those springs were refreshing and was able to quench your thirst. And historians tell us that, that out of all the things Laodicea was known for, they were known for their wealth, and we'll talk about it in a minute. They're known for their attire, their clothes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And they're known for their ointments to heal eyes. And we'll talk about all that in a minute. But the one thing that they were not known for was a good source of water. They had no good water in their city. And so what they had to do is they had to have pipes or aqueducts and they would pipe these, the water from Hierapolis, the hot water in and the cold water from Colossae in. And by the time it got to Laodicea, we are told that the water was lukewarm. The hot water was no longer hot and the cold water was no longer cold. And when they would go to drink that water, it was, it was nasty. It was, it, was, it was in a sense, it would, it would be tasting in such a way that it would bring them a stomachache and they would just spew it out of their mouth. And so Jesus is saying, hey, just like the hot water up in Hierapolis is useful and just like the cold water over there in, in Colossae is useful, I can use those, but you have water that's here is so useless and your church has become so useless in my sight. So today, my friends, God wants us to be useful to the work of Christ. And, and yes, in a sense, I believe he wants us to be so on fire for him that, that we can, he can use any aspect of our life to bring glory to him and further the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in verse 16, the Bible says that, they, that, he, that this church is lukewarm and, and he wants to spew them out of their mouth, out of his mouth. Now, I, I, I would prefer to use the word spew. I do. Because when I read the word vomit, it gives a bad meaning. But that's what the word spew means. Literally, it means to vomit out of your mouth what you just took in. Spew it out. And so in a sense, Jesus is saying to this church, you've got to a point in your life, the only thing I want to do with you is spew you out of my mouth. What a sad message for a church. And I, I'm afraid that, that the church of today, in God's eyes, we become 
so self-sufficient. We become so wealthy. We become so self-reliant. We've got our fancy attire. We got all these gadgets and resources. We've become so self-dependent that hey, hey, we've got we've got education and we've got all this good knowledge that we're just going to close the door to Jesus Christ. The only way we can overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. We have to understand that when we get to a place that Jesus is not the source of our provision, we are in a bad state. And we see that is the state of this church because it brings me to verse 17 and 18. And this passage, this section here delivers to us that that really our focus as a Christian should be two words, trust Jesus. And really three words, trust Jesus for everything. Let me just share this with you. If you trust Jesus for everything, then you will have everything you need. But if you don't trust Jesus for everything, then you'll never have everything that you need. And we're either trusting Christ to provide everything for us or we're not trusting Christ and he's not gonna provide everything for us. So Jesus declares the lukewarm church is useless. Jesus declares the faithful eternal church, excuse me, Jesus declares he is the faithful eternal true witness. But now look at verses 17 and 18. I wanna share with you the third declaration that Jesus has for this church. Let's read these verses. Verse 17, the Bible says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that th- that the, that the, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. The third thought today is from these two verses. Jesus declares he is the source for wealth, righteousness, and wellness. Jesus declares he is the source for wealth, righteousness, and wellness. Let's let's break this down. Wealth. Say wealth with me. Wealth. Say it again. Wealth. One more time, please. Wealth. We see this church in the ancient world was known as being extremely wealthy. And in fact, Jesus notes it. He's, he, he, and in fact, he, he's quoting them. And he says, you're saying that you're rich and increased with goods and you have need of nothing. In fact, we are told that, that, that they, had a, they were the leading banking center of this region of the ancient world. And Cicero, in the 50s BC, we are told that he was en route for his Cilician province and there he stops in Laodicea and he cashes out some money in this well-to-do city and bank. In fact, there's no doubt that, that in 60 AD, understand this, that in 60 AD an earthquake hit this region in Asia Minor and it shook cities and it destroyed churches and they, they were left, buildings, everything, it was gone. They had to rebuild. And so the government reached out to Laodicea and they said, hey, we're here to help you. And Laodicea was so wealthy. They had so many resources. They said, hey, hey, Caesar, we don't need your help. We've got enough money. We don't need you. And Jesus actually describes them as being wretched, miserable, and poor. So the church that thought it was rich, Jesus thunders down from his mouth in glory and says, you are poor. This word poor, it's not just, you know, you're in the lower tax bracket. You know, you're in the lower salary bracket. 
You're considered poverty. No, this is, this is so poor that you're standing on the side of the street, you're a beggar. And in verse number 18, the Bible says he counsels. That means he's giving advice to this church. And he says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. In other words, he says, you think your source of wealth and, and spirituality is found in all the, the blessings and prosperity that you have in the earthly, tangible, temporal things. But I submit to you that it's not in those things. The only way to obtain spiritual wealth is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe Christ is alluding to his eternal riches and glory the unsearchable riches that when we dig deeper into the word of God, we discover the purest form of gold and that is his word. He is a source for wealth. Let me just tell you something. Our church today, I'm not speaking about our church in a sense, but I heard of a, of a pastor retiring recently and left his church with $20 million in the bank. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> Our church, we have multi-million dollar facilities while, you know, the people all over the world are starving to death. We have all these gigantic facilities. We have so much money lodged in the bank. And Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. In fact, I came across an Instagram account. It's called, it's, it's funny. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. <laughs> and what this account does is it, it takes pictures of, of pastors while they're preaching and zooms in on their, their shoes and their clothes and all these other things. And it talks about how one pastor was wearing a pair of tennis shoes that was $1,500. One pastor's wearing a t-shirt that cost like $2,000. I think that, that wealth, it, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, okay? We're all wealthy here by every definition of the term wealth in the world standards. But when we get to a place where we say, hey, I have obtained so much money now that I no longer need God, we are in a bad situation. And I think our church is the modern church of America and the world at large is in this situation. We've said, hey, we have so much money, we no longer need God. But then check it out now. They said, hey, we have so, we, we have so much money. And, and here we are told by historians that, that, that here the Bible gives this idea of, of their clothing, their clothing, and he describes them as being naked in their attire. And then in verse number 18, the Bible says that, that to buy of Christ white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. The ancient world was quite a world. We are told by some of these historians that the gladiators would come and fight. And in some of the scenes, these gladiators, don't ask me why, they would fight butt naked. I mean, absolutely naked. And we are told that, that a city like Laodicea, these wealthy, luxurious people who had so much money and they had so all these great clothing because of the sheep and the wool. In fact, they were so famous for their attire that people came all over the ancient world to buy their luxurious garments, you know, their $1,500 pair of shoes, their $1,500 t-shirts, all those things. And I can just see them all the, the high class, the, the upper class in their gatherings there, you know, just talking about making fun of all of those, those gladiators in their crazy attire. And they're talking about how they have all this nice, fancy, elaborate clothing. And Jesus says, you got all the fancy clothes, but in my eyes, you're naked. 
Nakedness is an idea of shame. And he's saying, hey, you, you think you're clothed with my righteousness because you've got this nice, expensive attire, but in fact, you're not clothed with the righteousness that I want to give you. And I'm afraid that so many churches today, in a sense, are when they stand before God, we will all be bare naked before God in his presence at, at the judgment, if you will. And there we will see, we will see our sin as it is. But if we are saved, if we are born again, if we are blood bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and we know that, that our attire is not the earthly unrighteousness of our sin, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ today. Don't be clothed with the shameful garments of this world. Be clothed with the righteous robes of royalty in Jesus Christ. But then we see that they had a medical school in this town and they specialized in the eyes. That is your eyeballs. They were brilliant in understanding the eye. And they had this ointment that would come in and people would travel all over that known world to come to grab ointment so that when their eyes were, were sick, if you will, and they need improvement, and, and they would come and receive this ointment. And Jesus calls them blind. And then check it out now. In verse number 18, it mentions this eye salve, this ointment that I'm speaking of. It says, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And so here we see that this culture, they were so consumed with education. They were so consumed with their uh, fashion and design and attire and so consumed with their wealth that they lost the sight of God. And I'm afraid our churches today have become so enamored with the same things that we've kicked God outside and are not allowing him back in. Listen, I believe the blindness that Jesus is speaking of is not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. And hear me well today, you are spiritually blind if you don't, if you don't understand that Jesus is the only source for wellness. Jesus declares he is the source for wealth, righteousness, and wellness. You wanna be healed from your spiritual blindness? Only God is able of that miracle. I'm thankful as a 16-year-old young man, Jesus stepped down from glory and reached down and had his hand upon me and pulled back the veil of, of, of physical and spiritual blindness over my eyes. And so now I see through the word of God in a different way. And today it is my prayer that if you're here today, you're lost. If you're listening online, you're lost. If you're lost and you don't know Christ as Savior, it's my prayer that God would awaken your soul out of your spiritual blindness. Now I want to share with you from verses 19 and 20. We move forward in our passage. What is a lukewarm church? A lukewarm church is self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-dependent with no need for God. The only way to overcome the lukewarm mentality is to trust Christ for your needs daily. But the fourth declaration Jesus has for this church is found in verse 19 and 20. Jesus declares he lovingly disciplines the church to extend forgiveness. Jesus declares he lovingly disciplines the church to extend forgiveness. I love verse 19. I love it because I think that it's connected back to the word miserable, where it kind of gives the idea of pitiable, where God looks down and, and, looks, his, and looks down at the masses and sees them and have, is moved with pity and compassion in their miserable state. And here he sees the church in a miserable state. And in verse number 19, he says, and as many as I love, he loves this church, he does. And he says, I rebuke. This word rebuke is the idea that the message comes in such a way that brings Holy Spirit anointed conviction on their soul. 
and chasten. This word chasten means to discipline. We see that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 6, speaks about how whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And in Solomon and Proverbs, we see that he says in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, that whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And here the Bible says, be zealous therefore and repent. He says, you think you're wealthy, but you're spiritually bankrupt. He says, you think you're clothed with amazing attire, but you're clothed with unrighteousness. He says, you think you can see, but you're spiritually blind. It's time to repent, 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 repent. And the message I believe this word is giving to the modern church today is repent, 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 because we, in a sense, have kicked God out of the equation. And here Jesus says, repent, change your whole mentality, change your mind about how you're living and get right with God. We see that sometimes Jesus, he's like a loving father. A father and mother who loves their children may not have the exact format of discipline that you use, but they'll have some form of discipline. And so we see that, that, a, that a loving parent is gonna parent their children in such a way when they do something wrong, they're gonna step in and correct them, especially when they're underneath their authority in the household. And we see Jesus says, hey, I love you. I love you, but it's time to repent. Listen, if any of us here today have unconfessed sin in our, in our life, if we have sin that we haven't got right with God with as a Christian, it is urgent that we repent. And if we don't uncover that sin before God and we continue to live and abide in that sin, Jesus will uncover it and expose that sin to the whole world. That's why he disciplines, because he wants to extend forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then verse number 20, I think we've all used this verse for evangelism. We have. I don't think there's anything wrong with using any verse in the New Testament for evangelistic purposes. But I think that when we keep this verse in mind of the context, it's not necessarily speaking of evangelism. In fact, this is where we get this idea that Jesus has been kicked out of the church. <laughs> That's a sad day. When the son of God who gave himself for the church is kicked out of the church. Listen, hey, we've kicked God outside of the government. We've kicked God outside of our schools. And now what we're seeing today in this crazy generation is we're kicking God out of the church. And today we wanna welcome with both arms the loving savior in every meeting and everything we do around here. We want Jesus to reign supreme. But check it out now, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I've always wondered what kind of knock did he have? Did he have the, or was it the, wonder what knock it was, I have no idea. But we know that this knock is knocking. Every church that has kicked Jesus out of their church, Jesus is knocking. He is knocking, knocking, knocking as a patient gentleman knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, notice it says, if any man, he says, if there's any man, woman, boy or girl inside this church that is listening to the sound of my voice, open the door. I will come into him and will sup 
with him and he with me. This word sup, we get this idea of supper with this word sup or dinner. In the ancient culture, the highest honor that was given to somebody outside of family and blood was an invitation to come into their home and to have dinner or supper. Extending the most intimate time for, for a relationship and friendship. And so Jesus, he knew they knew about this in their own culture. So we say, hey, I want to come in and have dinner with you. I want to restore the broken fellowship. And I want to restore the relationship that we once had. And then verses 21 and 22, we see the fifth and final declaration that God gives to this church. So far we've seen that Jesus declares he is the faithful, eternal, true witness. We see that Jesus declares the lukewarm church is useless, that he is a source for wealth, righteousness, and wellness, and he lovingly disciplines the church to extend forgiveness. But now, fifth and finally, from verses 21 and 22, here's the, here's the final declaration God gives to the final church in Revelation chapter three and two. Jesus declares his church will reign with him in blessedness. Jesus declares his church will reign with him in blessedness. I love verse 21. In fact, out of all the benedictions, I love this one the best. To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. What in the world does that mean? I believe it's a reference to the millennial kingdom where all of God's saints, the church, will reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. Time doesn't allow us to get into that, but maybe we could talk about it some other time. Well, actually, we'll talk about it when we get to Revelation 20. But then it says, I love this phrase. Listen to this phrase. He says, even as I also say the word with me, overcame. Say it again, overcame. One more time, please. Overcame. I wonder what that's talking about. It's going back to what we celebrated a few moments ago with the Lord's Supper. How Jesus came and he overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame the grave and he overcame hell so that one day we can be overcomers through him. So if you know Christ as your savior, you are an overcomer. But if you are not in Christ, you are, I might invent a word, an undercomer. That is, you have to either know him and you're going to paradise and glory in heaven, or if you don't know him and you're going, as the Australian brothers say, down under. I'm thankful that I overcame through the work of Christ on the cross. But have you overcome? Jesus gave his life for you, for the sins of the world, so that we could experience his full forgiveness and so that we could one day reign with him in complete, absolute blessedness in the millennial kingdom. And he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here we see seven churches, seven messages. God is kind of nailing in every church, what he wants to say to the church, and this is the only church that receives no commendation. The only one, no praise. So we kind of see, apart from two churches, there is a degeneration. There is a downward spiral for all of these churches. So, what is a lukewarm church, you might ask? Well, lukewarm church is, it's, it's you know, that church that, that has become so self-reliant. It's that church that has become so self-sufficient. It's that church that has become so independent and dependent upon nothing accept themselves and they no longer need God. They no longer need Christ. They no longer need the Spirit. And the only way to overcome this mentality 
is to understand Christ is our provision daily. As I was studying for this message, I came across a powerful paragraph that I had just had to share. Describes a man who kind of had what this church had, wealth and all the privileges wealth brings. See if you can figure out who this man is. A certain man was the adopted son of the princess and the princess was daughter to the world's most powerful king. They knew affluence, they knew resources, they knew prestige, fine food and stylish clothing. In worldly terms, they lacked nothing. As the young man grew, he was educated and cultivated. There were girls, there were privileges. There were family expectations, there were possibilities. There were concerns of the realm, but he left it all. He had something greater, more valuable, something that would make enjoying everything he had a waste of his life. Do you know this man? In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. My friends, our wealth, our righteousness, and our spiritual wellness comes from Christ. And may God help us never to adopt the lukewarm church mentality. May God help us to always recognize and realize Christ is the source for our daily needs. Let us not be like the lukewarm church. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.